Romans chapter 11, if you take your Bibles and join me in Romans chapter number 11. As we begin and as you are turning that passage, let me ask you a somewhat personal question that is only yours to answer. It's not a question that I would anticipate we would have discussion over, but an important question that you may have actually already asked yourself. Have you ever blown it so badly? Have you ever lived in such defiance? Have you ever committed some act against God that you began to wonder, is there any hope for someone like me? Maybe you've even reasoned it, a little, reasoned it out a little bit further than that and you've said something like, for someone who has known truth, which may have been you, for someone who has known truth and then defied it and gone against it and purposed myself to do what I wanted to do and I defied God, has God actually cast me away? I, I think it's one of those questions that people do ask and answer, but how they answer that question is of extreme importance. They may have come to themselves, like I, I, I realize what I've done, I realize the magnitude of my sin, but now I begin to wonder, has God actually cast me away? In our passage today, we're going to understand some things about the future of Israel. And we'll also understand some things comparatively about the future of ourselves. The title of our message today is Hope for Israel, Hope for You. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 11. Look with me, if you will, at verse number one and then into verse number two. Here the Bible says this. It says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Now that's an honest question. And again, it's an important one. Hath God cast away his people? Look at the next expression that the apostle Paul uses. He says here, God forbid. Then he goes on and he says, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he answers his own question, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What the apostle Paul asks and then answers is a question that, that many people have asked about the nation of Israel. In fact, there, there is a theology today that, that many people have held to that we call replacement theology. That really, well, the, the church has completely replaced the nation of Israel. This passage of scripture, I believe, is one of the, the proof texts regarding the fact that God has not finished himself with the people of Israel. And while the church plays a role eternally in the praise and worship of Almighty God, there is an extended aspect of the church and there is a definite place for the people and the nation of Israel. Some years ago, there was a, a commercial and I, I know we joked about it somewhat, but if it was your family specifically, it would be no joking or laughing matter. 
I suppose it struck us somewhat humorously because for many that would not have been their case and and of course the acting of it on a commercial lends itself to some form of humor. But the question was an important one and and again here's the, the humor that we somewhat derived from it. The question was asked or the, the statement was made, I've fallen, and you could probably finish the end of the statement. I've fallen and, yeah, I can't get up, okay. Now, I suspect that if that was ever the case with one of your loved ones, it's, it's clearly not a laughing matter, but, but the, the, the commercial struck us kind of funny. I've fallen and I can't get up. So there was some kind of an alert to help the person who had fallen. What people have derived, and I think maybe in Israel, they have not even asked the question. Other people are just looking and saying, well, listen, if that's the case with Israel, have they so staggered and fallen that there is no hope of their ever standing again? The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse number 11, I say then, Paul speaking, have they stumbled that they should fall In other words, he's saying, have they so stumbled that they're never going to get up again? And Paul answers that with one of his favorite responses. He says, God forbid. Now remember, Paul is writing primarily to the Gentiles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Verse number 13, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. We might also note as just a little bit of an aside that the apostle Peter, he's, he's from, a, a, from Galilee, a largely Gentile area. He was the apostle to the Jews. So, so here's this guy who grows up in an area that's surrounded by Gentiles and, and he's the apostle to the Jews. And then you have the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul is trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He is a student of, of all students. He, he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He is, if you want to talk about someone who is Jewish pursuing the law, he says, listen, I haven't failed in any aspect of the law. And yet God is using the apostle Paul as by his own statement, the apostle to the Gentiles. And we might stand back and scratch our head a little bit and say, God, I I think you got your wires crossed just a little bit. I think what you and I may sometimes wonder is what do we do when God doesn't make sense? These seem counterintuitive but we simply rest on the idea that God does know what he's doing and even in your own life you may say God are you how could you call me to do this well why would you ask me to do that well we just trust that God does in fact know exactly what he's doing he knew what he was doing with the apostle Paul he knew what he was doing with the apostle Peter and he knows exactly what he's doing with people just like you and people just like me Well, let's walk through this important passage of scripture that has some powerful implications, both for the people, the nation of Israel, and for people just like you and me. The first thing that we notice in this passage is what we will refer to as the banishment of Israel. The banishment of Israel. Now you'll notice that there is a question mark at the end of this statement, and it is purposefully so. Again, verse number one in Romans chapter 11, I say then, hath God cast away, has he banished his people? For centuries, it has appeared that God has in fact cast away 
banished his people. Now the phrase God forbid is the strongest negative expression that can be used in the Greek language. Uh, Jesus uses this expression only one time. He uses it in the book of Matthew when he's sharing a parable. The apostle Paul is one of his favorite expressions and he uses it repeatedly. In fact, Paul uses it 14 times in his epistles and he uses it 10 times in the book of Romans alone. God forbid. And he usually uses this expression when he's trying to anticipate some argument from those who may try to raise one. Hath God cast away Israel? And before someone can say, yes, I think in fact he has, the apostle Paul says, let me answer that question for you. And I'm gonna do it in no uncertain terms. God forbid. He comes down very powerfully on the fact that God is not done with the people of Israel. Well, has God banished Israel? Again, the answer is God forbid. Remember, there has never And I can't overemphasize that statement. There has never been a nation that has been so providentially protected as has been the nation of Israel. Okay, Frederick the Great. He was the king of Prussia, territory that's now uh, modern day Germany uh, into Poland. He ruled from 1740 to 1786. He was heavily influenced by one of his day named Voltaire. And Voltaire was a a, uh, philosopher. Voltaire was an atheist. And he had a lot of influence in the thinking of Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great had a court chaplain. And this is a dialogue that is is, um, supposed to have happened between Frederick the Great and his chaplain. Apparently, Frederick the Great has this statement to his chaplain that was something like this. If God is who he said he is and the Bible is what it claims to be, it should be easily recognizable. He said there there shouldn't be all kinds of necessary debates. If the Bible is what it claims to be, if God is who he says he is, he said to his court chaplain, give me one word Not all these reasoned arguments give me one word that proves the veracity or that demonstrates the validity of the claims of Scripture. One word. Wow. Okay, now if you were asked to give one word that that proves the legitimacy of Scripture, the reality of Almighty God, what one word would you choose? It's a great question. So some people might say, well, love or grace, or sin, or conscience. What one word would the the chaplain choose? So the chaplain pauses for a few moments and he thinks and, and then he says, I have king the one word. And the king is a bit startled and he stands back and he says, well, tell me if you will, what is this magic word to prove the validity of scripture, the reality of God? To which the chaplain answers with one word, Israel. And the king of Prussia stands in silence because there is no answer to the reality of God when you consider the people and the nation of Israel. Let let it sink in for just a moment. Israel, 
proof of the reliability of Scripture, the author of Scripture? In my mind, that is a brilliant answer. What other nation has lasted for 4,000 years and experienced what Israel has experienced? We know when the nation began. We know why they began, by whom they began. We have a detailed written record of her ancient and modern history. Her language today remains the same, as well as her religion, her traditions, her homeland, her bloodline. She still follows the original documents outlined by her faith, the Torah, the Old Testament law. For a nation to exist for so many centuries, one would assume that it has been pampered, it has been protected by all the world. But you and I know that nothing could be further from the truth. No nation on the face of the earth has been so universally persecuted, abandoned, isolated, purposefully and repeatedly driven to the brink of extinction. That is, however, what makes the survival of Israel so much more miraculous and divinely overshadowed. No nation has been so robbed, so deported, so murdered, so hated as is the nation of Israel. Think through some of their brief reality when we just go through some tidbits of their history. 722 BC, the northern kingdom falls to the people of Assyria. 586 BC, Judah, the southern kingdom and her capital, Jerusalem, destroyed by the Babylonians. 538 to 432 BC, groups of exiles begin, begin to again flock home, almost like homing pigeons coming back to rebuild Jerusalem. AD 70, just as had been prophesied, the nation was again destroyed. Jerusalem ripped to the ground, the population dispersed, others simply fled the land. Now for the next 1800 years, Israel was scattered throughout Europe and Asia. The city of Jerusalem, the land of Israel, the scene of hundreds of years of conflict, ruled off and on by numerous different nations and powers. 1940, the Holocaust kills millions of these scattered Jews living throughout Europe. May 14th, 1948, Israel is reestablished as a nation. And to that, we would say not only truly remarkable, we would say truly miraculous. 1967, Israel regains control of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War that had begun during an unprovoked conglomerated. I mean, you have this, these allies that are now readying themselves, preparing themselves for the attack on Israel. Israel in the Six-Day War recaptures more than four times the size of their property during this very brief Six-Day War, completely devastating three combined nations that come against them for attack. Israel is a miraculous proof of God's reliability in keeping his word. Ask these questions today. Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amalekites? Where are the Jebusites? They are lost in the expanse of time. 
I would submit never to return again. No other nation has survived 4,000 years of wars and destruction and deportation and genocide and persecution, nor the repeated destruction and rebuilding of its capital. And what other nation has retained its cultural and religious identity having been disbanded for nearly two millennia? Why has Israel survived? Here's the answer. Because God said it would. It proves the reliability of Scripture. It proves the reliability of Almighty God. Hath God cast off Israel? To that, the apostle says a resounding, God forbid. Now we should note, God cannot forsake his covenants with Israel, nor will he change them. So it is of little wonder that our enemy, the devil, Satan, would continually attack people, the people of Israel, knowing that they remain a part of God's future plan. Now, don't confuse the banishment of Israel with the burden of Israel. Is Israel banished? God forbid. Is Israel right now burdened? Are they carrying a heavy load? And the answer to that is absolutely. Israel does have a burden to carry, and often it's the burden of their own making. But this is not their banishment by the hand of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul takes special notice that there are Israelites even today who have believed and come to the knowledge of truth. He acknowledges that in Romans chapter 11. Uh, Verses 2 and 3, he hits it early. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew, Why ye not, or didn't you know what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Paul uses this as an example. He says, do you remember when Elijah calls down fire on Mount Carmel, and then he flees from those who are pursuing his life, Jezebel? He finally gets alone, and he says, God, I'm the only one that's left. And God says, not so. You're not the only one. There are still thousands of those who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal who are still faithful followers of me. Has God cast away all of Israel? No, there are still yet many Israelites, Jews, who know Jesus Christ personally. We should note that God is always doing more than we are aware. Always. Have you, ever, have you ever kind of stood back and scratched your head at God's silence? Like, Lord, do you see how they mock you? Do you see how they defy you? Do you see how they rebel themselves against you, believing a lie? Listen, don't think or don't mistake God's silence for his inactivity. God is always up to something good, always. And today, Israel's burden has not been lifted because they continually attempt to please God by their own works rather than by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Again, Romans chapter 11, verse number six, Paul says, listen, it has to be by one or the other, grace or works. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul says it has to be one or the other. And Israel today, as a nation, as a people, they have continually tried to impress God, 
to earn their standing with God by their own works instead of the work of Jesus Christ. The burden of Israel, not their complete banishment, the burden of Israel and their attempt to establish their own righteousness brings us to the next question. Paul now asks, in a sense, he says, where do we go from here? Look at the first part of verse number seven. He said, what then? Really, the apostle saying, okay, so, so if they're not completely cast off, where does that leave us? What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Do you know what God is doing right now with Israel? He's giving them what they wanted. Do you remember when we took a look at Pharaoh earlier? We understood that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And God said, fine, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you what you want. You're hardening yourself against me. I will participate in that hardening. Same thing happening right now with Israel. In verse number 10 of chapter 11, the Bible says this. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. This comes about because of their unbelief. Blindness is always the result of unbelief. Okay, now it's easy to see with uh, other people. Like, wow, how is it that Israel can't see? Have you ever been able to notice something about someone else, but you don't see it about yourself? Have you ever even pointed something out about someone else? Hey, hey, I wanted to let you know. And at the very time you're pointing out something about someone else, the very thing is also true about you. Do you know what we see is we see that it's pretty easy to point out the blindness of Israel. But even as followers of Jesus Christ, there can be times when we are blind to certain aspects of our own walk with Almighty God. For example, when we refuse to forgive, we are blinded to the need for forgiveness. When we hesitate to serve, we become blinded to its blessing. When we hesitate or when we waver at giving, we are blinded to the true source of our provision. When we fail to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading, we become blinded to his directing and on and on and on it goes. The result of Israel's willful abandonment of God's plan is that God has hardened their hearts, even as he hardened Pharaoh's. Remember, unbelief is the sin that will ultimately separate man from God forever, and it's that which separates the believer from God's blessing today. Romans chapter 11, verse number 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Hey, that's kind of encouraging. Okay, they were broken off because of unbelief. You were grafted in. The Apostle Paul uses a powerful analogy that, that every Israelite and, and certainly the Gentiles of the day would understand. L listen, here's what happened is, is the, the branches of the olive tree were not producing. That's Israel. So these are pruned off, these are cut away. And then those that didn't have a good root, but they had strong branches, yet they weren't yet productive. He takes these branches, the Gentile nation, and he grafts them into the root and they begin to produce. He says, okay, Israel, you can see they have been cast away for now, 
They, they have been set aside for now, not utterly banished because of their unbelief. You were grafted in because of your faith. And then notice how he concludes that statement. Be not high-minded, but fear. Don't you become haughty, so to speak, in the fact that, well, we have the truth. Too bad for them, we have it. He says, shame on you. Don't you be high-minded about that. You walk with an utter reverence to Almighty God. God, how gracious you have been. God, the manifold blessing to allow us to be grafted in. When, when we were in Israel, our guide was a guide that we've had on two different occasions in Israel. His name's Avi, does an outstanding job. His history, his knowledge, his ability to communicate it was quite wonderful. So I had a conversation with Avi one time and, and we're talking about faith. And of course, Avi would give tours to multitudes of believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And of course, many people have had conversations with him about Jesus, Messiah. Uh, Avi is not a believer in Jesus Christ. So I said to Avi, I said, Avi, what do you believe? If you don't believe in Jesus, what do you believe? He said, I am a Jew. He said, I believe in God. And then he said this. In fact, I wrote down his words because I wanted them exactly. He said, I am a Jew. I believe in God. And then he said this. He says, but it is very hard to be a Jew. Interesting. I am a Jew. I believe in God. But it is very hard to be a Jew. What was he saying? He's saying it is very hard to live according to all that we believe about our faith and tradition. How am I going to continually measure up to the standard? He has come at least to an understanding. It is very hard to live a works-based religion. And what he's saying to us today is, listen, you be careful. You do have truth that they are right now blinded. Oh man, walk in fear that your fate is not the same as theirs. Remember what we saw in chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse number three. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The blindness of Israel is such that they not only rejected good, they rejected it. It's interesting they also wanted no one else to accept that which is good. Like, okay, so yeah, we, we don't want the Messiah, but, but we don't want anyone else to have him either. We're not going to take time to look at the passage, but there is a time when the Apostle Paul was brought to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem. This is before he's going to be sent to Rome to go on trial. So the Apostle Paul is brought back to Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He does the work of purification according to the law. And there were some that looked at him and said, this is the guy, and I think he brought Gentiles into the temple. All of Jerusalem's in an uproar. The, 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 the guards had to actually go pull Paul out of the midst of this whole big um, um, uprising in Jerusalem. So Paul finally gets an opportunity to speak to this roaring crowd, and he speaks to them in the Hebrew tongue, Oh, wow, when they heard him speak Hebrew, they all quieted down. Okay, well, at least he knows the tongue. And then he begins to recite his qualifications. 
He said, listen, I'm a Hebrew. I I trained here. This is where I'm from. I I had actual letters from the high priest. The high priest can verify. I went into all these places. I persecuted the Christians. I was standing there giving my approval when Stephen was killed. You remember, he's telling them, when Stephen, that deacon was killed, I was standing right there. They're probably all like, oh, this is good. And then he says, but one day I was walking on a road and Jesus Christ reveals himself to me. I I, I asked him, what does he want me to do? And and he told me what I'm to do. And from that day forward, he's explaining, my life has been forever changed. He said, and now my goal is to take that message. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, and now my desire, I just want to take that message to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, now let me ask you, why should a Jew care what happens with the Gentiles? Why should it bother them if anyone goes and says whatever they want to the Gentiles? They don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. As soon as the apostle Paul says, I just want to take that message to the Gentiles, the crowd just explodes. There's no more talk here. You're going to the Gentiles with the Messiah? The Messiah is ours. Now, he's not our Messiah, but the Messiah is ours. They're really conflicted right now. Do you know what Paul begins to play on in Romans chapter 11? He says, hey, Gentiles, do you know what God's doing? God is actually using you as a means of jealousy for his people. They're going to look and see what the Gentiles have and say, wow, that could have been ours. We want what they have. Have you ever had, if you're you're married, maybe you remember back in the day. Listen, ladies, this might be how you actually got your husband, okay? Did he ever pay a little attention to you but not enough attention to you? The first day I asked my wife out on a date, okay? We went out on a date. It was a, we played tennis. I didn't even buy lunch. I, it was a cheap date, okay? And so we went, played tennis. I brought her back home. That was it. That was on a Saturday. The next day in church, I was sitting on the platform, okay? I'm, I'm the youth pastor at the time. I'm sitting on the platform. I look out in the congregation, and she's sitting with another guy, It got my attention, okay? Listen, next time, I bought lunch, okay? There was a little sense of like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? I had some motivation. You might want to call it jealousy. Do you know what the Apostle Paul starts to say? He says, hey, listen, Romans chapter 11 Look down at verse number 11. Romans 11, verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, there it is again. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to, look at that word, jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, How much more their fullness? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, if if their fall was the means by which, and these are the people of God, if their fall is the means by which you actually um, understand who Messiah is and you're welcomed into the kingdom, he said, how much greater is going to be their reception when we bring them back again? 
Essentially, what he is saying is that we are to remember that out of their rejection has been our reception. And ultimately, it is through our reception that we are to see again their restoration. What what do we see? The, The banishment, rather the burden of Israel, the blindness of Israel. And where does that lead us to? Well, actually to the blessing of Israel. The blessing. The blessing of Israel is that God keeps his promises. And he will keep his promises to Israel just as he will keep his promises to you. As you and I have been wonderfully blessed and grafted in because of the people of Israel, God is now calling you and I to be witnesses to those about us who may also be the recipients of his grace through our lives. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. He says, I want you to know this, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Let me just say very briefly, sometimes we stumble ourselves at that all Israel shall be saved. Listen, that means that the people as a whole, just like we talk about the Gentiles or the fullness of the Gentiles, will every Gentile be saved? No. Will every Israelite, all of Israel be saved? No, not every individual, but as a nation, ah, we recognize this is Messiah. When we read a little bit further, verse number 30, for as in times past, ye have not believed in God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also not believed, now not believed that through your mercy, they may also obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. There's coming a day when Israel as a nation will once again repent of their unbelief, receive their Messiah and be gloriously restored. This is something that's been foretold all throughout scripture and the apostle Paul's recognizing it again. Look at the clarity of this and look at the person that's referenced. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. Now listen. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn, his only begotten son. So if God will keep his promises to Israel, how wonderful it is to know that he will keep his promises to you. It it reminds us of something that we saw way back in Romans chapter 4. He, that is Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. There are some who have said that through the course of this 
unfolding of the doctrine of the Gentiles and, and the Jews being brought back in. There are some that say, they say when Paul got to the end of this, it's like his doctrine turns into his doxology. You know, many in here are familiar with the song that is sung often, praise God from whom all blessings flow. What's the apostle Paul's doxology when he gets to the conclusion of this passage? His doxology is, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. How do we conclude today? We conclude by remembering that we, we remember that God keeps his promises. How many of them? He keeps all of them. What do we conclude from this passage? Listen, God, you're going to honor your promises to Israel just like he honors his promise to you, his promise to me. What do we conclude? We understand that our own blindness is possible And it always begins with our unbelief. And then we know that if there is hope for Israel, and there is, there is hope for anyone. That is, there is hope for you and for me.